0: Tonight, we are going to be talking about being picked on purpose, to be picked on purpose. And eventually, we're going to make it to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, but we have a lot of places to go to before we get to that point. So tonight, we're just going to go ahead and pray one more time as we get ready to study the Word, and then we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, once again, we commit this time unto you, we ask and pray that that you would be on full display in everything that is said and done in our lives, but especially in this place, and and that right now as we prepare to study your word, we pray that, that you would help us to be discerning, Lord, that you would give me your words to speak and not my own, and that our hearts would be challenged, that our hearts would be challenged to draw closer to you and to be more like you tonight. And so we commit this time unto you, and we ask and pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ amen. So the last couple of weeks we have been together studying a couple of different things and two weeks ago we studied about Paul and we studied mostly about the declaration that he had that even though he knew what he needed to do he knows the things that are right and he wants to his, there's a part of him the spiritual side of him that wants to do the things that are right he finds himself still failing And we saw that in multiple places in Romans chapter 7, but especially clearly in verses 18 through 20. It says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so we talked about the fact that there is this battle that is raging constantly within each one of us. That it's this battle that we, until we became children of God, we didn't even realize was taking place. And so we really weren't even engaged in. It was something that the flesh was constantly winning that battle. But now that we're children of God, now that there has been this transformation, there's been this change in us, now. There's a battle. There's this battle that's taking place, and it's between the flesh and the spirit. So much so that even when we fail, there should have been a battle taking place. We knew what we should have done. We wanted to do what was right, but we just, for whatever reason, couldn't get it accomplished. And so that led us to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, when we were reminded that we are still imperfect, and we still need a lot of help to fight the battle, but we can walk in the spirit. He says, "'I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh.'" So it's this battle of the Spirit against the flesh, and what we have to do is to give ourselves over to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. "'For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish.'" but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so we talked a lot about that. We spent almost all of our time two weeks ago talking about wanting to do the right thing and how to accomplish that, that we needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And that led us to last week where we talked about building upon a sure foundation, building upon and obeying the sayings of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter seven, verses 24 and 25, therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And so we talked about how it's not just enough to hear the sayings. It's not enough just to show up to a church service, but that we actually have to apply the things that God is speaking to our hearts. We have to learn about the Word of God, but not just so that it can be academic, just so that we can then turn around and tell somebody else what we know about it, but that we actually apply it. And so we talked about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. To have knowledge is to know how to do something, but wisdom is actually applying it. And so we want to be able to build on this sure foundation to not only hear the sayings of Jesus, but to also follow through and to do them. And in order to do that, we talked about needing to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be filled with the Spirit. Romans chapter 13 verses 13 and 14, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but instead in contrast to all of those things, in contrast to letting the flesh run wild, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And something that that we're going to begin to start laying the groundwork for tonight starts right there. To make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. There are times that we make provision. There are times that we allow things to remain in our lives that keep us from the things that God wants to do in us and through us. But instead, we're supposed to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but on the contrary, be filled with the Spirit. And we've talked before about what that actually means. It means constantly and continually that we are poured out, that we're emptied out, that we are tested, that we're tried, and that we require being refilled. And the verb there, the usage there, is that it's a continual refilling of the Holy Spirit. But be filled constantly and continually with the Holy Spirit. So now that we've gotten through all of that stuff, tonight we're going to look at our responsibilities. Now that we understand that we are called, that we've been chosen for a purpose, now we're going to talk about what some of those purposes are as we're walking in the Spirit and obeying the commands of Jesus. So one of the things that we also talked about is that Jesus was tempted, tested, tried in every way possible, and he was tested by Satan himself. And Satan came through and he did all these things immediately after Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was tested by Satan. And then shortly after that, he actually begins to choose what we now call the 12 disciples. Shortly after Jesus had been filled with the Spirit in Matthew chapter 4, he then comes to verse 18, and he begins calling for fishers of men. In verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him so peter and andrew at this point they'd already had an encounter with jesus but now jesus was explaining to them that he had so much more planned for them and he tells them come with me follow after me and i will make you fishers of men we don't even know if they fully understood exactly what he meant or what he was calling them to but they knew enough about jesus in that relationship that distant relationship that they had at that point That when he said, come follow after me, it says in verse 20 that they immediately left their nets. And what that literally means is that they left everything behind them. They held on to nothing, but they followed after Jesus. And then in verse 21, it says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And so Jesus calls these two other brothers, and now they're sitting there, they're working with their father in the family business, and they are told the same thing, to come and to follow after me, and they immediately left. They turned aside from everything that they were doing before, and they followed after him. And Jesus wanted them to not only know him, but he wanted them to follow him. And on top of that, once they began to follow him, once they began to build upon that sure foundation, once they they began to obey the commands that he was sharing with them, then he wanted them to be a part of bringing others into the family of God. So Peter and Andrew, James and John, they all get called and their response is the same that they left immediately. And so the first thing for us tonight is, do we follow the example of these fishermen? Is our response the same as these four men? And I would suggest to you that oftentimes when God is calling us to do something, when he's pressing upon our hearts, even in something that we would maybe consider to be small or insignificant, that we are much more like Jonah than we're like these four fishermen. And as a recap, Jonah was the one that literally had to be kidnapped by a fish and to be vomited out where he was supposed to go. And that, I think really really exemplifies what we do a lot of times we know the things that we're supposed to do and sometimes when when paul's writing in romans chapter 7 he says that that i want to do these things i know what i should do but i can't find within me the means to get that done sometimes it's not because of anything other than our lack of a, a good motivation that we instead want to go in the other direction, and we start looking for excuses. We make reasons why this isn't actually what God meant for us. This isn't actually what God meant for me. God and I have an understanding. We have this relationship. I show up to church, he forgives my sins, and then I go back and I do whatever I was doing before. Or I show up to church, I spend time in his word, I study and I, I have a relationship with him, I pray, but God understands that I'm a busy person and I don't have time to go out and to minister to other people God and I have an understanding we have that kind of a relationship but the reality is that nobody really has that kind of a relationship with God because as we're going to see in just a moment God has called all of us if we are his children to some very very specific things there are some things that are are much more individualized but the things that we're going to study tonight are for all of us and the first one is that he has called all of us to be fishers of men he has called all of us to be fishers of men Now there have been a few times in my life that I have had to go searching for a job and I'm sure I'm not the only one I I think most of us in our lifetimes have done that at least once or twice and nowadays it it's easier in some ways but it's more difficult. It's easier because there are so many job opportunities at the click of a of a button on the computer but at the same time there are so many that you go through and i have found myself having to go through job after job after job looking through all the qualifications looking through the benefits looking through how much money i would make looking through the hours looking through how how difficult it would be to start how difficult it would be to advance and so i would go through and it was so hard because it seemed like everything i wanted to do didn't pay enough to cover all of my expenses to support my family. Or maybe the money was good enough, but for whatever reason, I didn't meet the education requirements. Or maybe both of those things were good, they and they paid well, they had amazing benefits, and I had all the educational requirements, but then they would have that, that dumb, annoying little thing at the bottom that said, you needed to have prior experience in the field. Well, I'm trying to get into the field, that's why I need the experience. But you're telling me I need to have experience, but nobody wants to give me experience because I need to have prior experience in order to get the job. And so I would go through and it was so frustrating because I knew that if they would only take a shot on me, that I could have knocked the job out of the park. That I would have been the perfect fit, that they would have been happy, I would have been happy, we're all winners. But I couldn't get in the door. And, and that, to me, is what it's like with this calling that we have with Jesus Christ. We search so much in our lives for something that's going to fulfill us, that's going to meet all of our needs, that that we're qualified for, that we have enough experience to do, something that we can do, that that we can take right now in this moment, and that is going to fulfill our lives. That's really what we're looking for all the time. In everything that we do, everything that we choose to do, there is some sort of a fulfillment that we are trying to achieve. You know, whether it's going to work and you say, well, my job's not fulfilling. Well, you're still going, and the reason is that it fulfills a need. Maybe that need is just money. It's something that that can hold you over to the next job, but whatever it is, we are trying to fulfill a need. We're trying to meet a need. And this relationship with Jesus Christ, and then on top of that, this calling beyond just the initial relationship with Jesus, is like that perfect job opportunity, that perfect job posting that has all of these amazing benefits, opportunities for advancement, the pay is great, there are no minimum qualifications, but the most important thing is that there's no experience required. And you go through and you look at the 12 men that Jesus chose, and I've shared this before if I could have started any kind of an organization, any kind of athletic team, any kind of anything, probably none of those 12 guys would have made it. None of them would have been on my short list or long list. They wouldn't even have made a list. I mean, you look at these guys and Jesus picked them specifically, but none of these guys were standouts. None of these guys were exceptional at anything except sinning and maybe fishing. But even that, Jesus had never been a fisherman and he showed them up in one night. So they weren't amazing at anything. But these are the guys that Jesus chose. And I think that that is an encouragement for us. And I think that Jesus did that for a number of different reasons. But one of them was so that we would be able to see ourselves. So that we could recognize that Jesus wants us. That we are just as imperfect as they were. But Jesus did so much in them and he did so much through them. That by the end, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 17 through 20, these are the guys that he's speaking to when he says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, these, these disciples, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That means all authority. He could have chosen anyone or anything. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, but notice noticed. The command here, he picked them, he chose them, and he says in verse 19, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Amen. And so the first thing there is to make disciples, that they would go out and to make disciples the same way that they were made disciples, which is to be taught these things, to be shown the example of how to live out these things. The second thing is to baptize those disciples that they make in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 20, to teach the commands of Jesus. To build on that solid foundation, to build on that rock as he had already shared with them. And when he had talked about doing these sayings of mine, not just knowing them, but doing these sayings of mine. And so he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, which literally means to live out all the things that I have commanded you. And then he reminds them that I am with you always. So he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and I am with you always. He bookends this command to go out and to make disciples, to baptize, to teach them, and and to be reminded of the things that he's commanded. He bookends that with saying that I have been given all authority. I have all the power, and I am never going to leave you. So the one that is calling us to go out and do this, just like he's calling upon them, is the one who has all the power to accomplish it. And he literally could do it with anything. But each of these 12 men, they were imperfect. They had their various faults. But God chose them where they were at. And then he did a work in them so that he could do a work through them. And that's something that if you've been here for any length of time, you have probably heard me pray, that God would work in us and through us. Because it's not enough for us to just be worked on inside, but that God needs to work through us. That there needs to be an outpouring. There needs to be something happening that's impacting the world around us through our lives. And again, I love the fact that Jesus chose 12 obviously imperfect people to use for his ministry because they're so much more relatable. I can relate to Peter. I can relate to all of his ping-ponging back and forth where he'd, he'd go to one side and Jesus would have to correct him and he'd overcorrect and go to the other. He'd say, Jesus, how can you wash my feet? You know, you're, you're God. I, you, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And Jesus tells him, well, if I can't wash your feet, then I have nothing to do with you. And then he says, well, in that case, give me a bath. Just head to toe, just to lay it out. And God has to continually tell him, just chill out. Just do what I tell you. If you would just follow what I tell you. Don't go overboard with it. Don't fall lag behind. Just do what I tell you. If you would just do what I tell you, things would go so much better for us. But one of the things that that... That really really ministers to me is that these guys were not superheroes of faith or superheroes of righteousness from the get-go even the ones that we would look at like Paul Paul didn't start out that way Paul was a jerk Paul was a total jerk and he's he, so much so that God had to actually change his name he used to be Saul and when he, God started to get a hold of his heart he changed his name to Paul but Saul was a total jerk Saul was one of the guys that was always trying to kill the Christians up until he met Jesus. That's where he started. He was definitely imperfect. And Paul never lost sight of that fact. We hear about things like that today, it seems like all the time. Never forget where you came from. Well, in a a spiritual sense, that's really true. We can't ever forget where we came from because when we do that, we stop being able to minister to other people i've shared before that there are so many places that that you go to a church and the people that are in that church are so unwelcoming and unforgiving and unloving and you have to meet this standard from the time that you walk in the door and if you fall short of any of these things then you are excommunicated from the church we're going to kick you out and they take pride in the fact that they are so holy and they've kicked everybody that's unholy out because they have totally forgotten that if they had been held to that same standard, they never would have set foot in the church to begin with. And so we have to remember where we came from. But there's two questions from very different positions that I'm often asked about ministry. And those two questions are, why did God choose you, pointing at me? Why did God choose you out of all people? Of all the people that he could have chosen, why did God choose you? And almost kind of looking down on me, why did God choose you? And the second one is from an entirely different perspective when they ask, how could God ever choose me? How could God ever use me for ministry? It seems like every person that I've ever had to talk to about stepping up and getting involved in ministry in one way or another, whether it's to be a deacon or an elder or a pastor or to oversee a ministry, or sometimes even just to get involved in the parking lot ministry or the sound ministry, the worship ministry, wherever it is, seems like almost every time it's, well, I don't know if I'm qualified for that. And, and what it really comes down to is, I don't know if I'm spiritually ready for that. I don't know if my life is right enough. And, and really, in the, the back of their minds, it's, I still have so much that I have to get squared away in my life before God can use me. And I think that that is why Jesus chose the 12 guys that he did, so that we can understand that you don't have to wait until you're perfect, because by the time that comes, your life here is done. You're over, you're in heaven, because that's the first time you're gonna meet perfection in your life. He chose these guys so that we would recognize that. In Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 40, then as he, Jesus, was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So this is the triumphal entry. This is the week before, literally the week before Jesus actually gets tried and, and is crucified. He's entering into the city and people are, are doing the complete opposite of telling, saying crucify him, crucify him. They're saying Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the, the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so you get to verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, basically telling them, Jesus, you know that this is not who you are, so you need to rebuke them and tell them to stop this. But Jesus answered in verse 40, and he said to them, I tell you that if these people should keep silent, even the stones would immediately cry out. The stones would immediately cry out. Again, all authority has been given to Jesus on heaven and in In heaven and on earth. So he has all the authority, he has all the power, so that even if he chose to, he wouldn't have to use any human being. He could use the stones and they would worship him. In Numbers chapter 22, you go through and and it's this long passage, you can read it later. It's chapter 22 of Numbers, verses 22 through 34. It's Balaam and the donkey. And this is one of the stories that if you grew up in church or your kids have grown up in church and you see the flannel boards and all this stuff, this has been always one of the kids' favorite stories because there's a donkey that actually talks back to the man that's riding on him. And so there's this man, Balaam, and he, he's a prophet of God but he's gotten sidetracked by money. And so there's this, uh, this evil king and the king wants Balaam to come out and to curse the children of Israel. Obviously that shouldn't happen because that's God's people. And God says, why would you do that? And so he goes and he's on his way to meet with this evil King Balak. And then the angel of the Lord stands in the way. So it's this heavenly figure that we, we believe that is, uh, a, a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament, is Jesus before the incarnation, that Jesus is there. So the angel of the Lord is standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turns aside out of the way, and he crushes the man's leg. And then the man starts beating on the donkey, tells him, you need to go, what's going on? And then the donkey turns around and tells him, why are you beating me? I mean, think about that. You're to be riding a donkey, and the donkey turns around and talks to you. I mean that would trip me out. <laughs> like, I, I, there are some things that I would love to see happen. I would love to be able to hear the audible voice of God, but to hear an animal talk, that would be pretty cool too, you know, to be able to understand them. And, and so this donkey turns around and, and they, he, and Balaam, of all the things that trips me out the most about this story, Balaam isn't surprised. He just starts carrying on the conversation. He starts arguing with the donkey. And he tells him, well, what are you doing? What, what are you talking about? I'm telling you to go and you're not going. And then the Lord opens his eyes and Balaam the prophet sees the angel of the Lord standing there. And his donkey had saved him and saved both of them because he, his eyes were opened. And that's a reminder to me. So the stones would cry out, but even donkeys, even the animals, that if God so desired, he wouldn't have to use any of us. He could use an animal. He could make an animal speak for his glory. He'd bring anyone he wanted into the kingdom of God by letting an animal speak if he chose to. But he chooses to want to use us. So the answer to both of those questions, why did God choose you out of all people, and how could God ever choose me to be used, is that God could make the rocks cry out or the donkeys speak if he wanted to. But he wants to use you and me. It's not because of anything that we've done, it's because of what God wants and so that the first thing there is that God wants to use us, and he wants us to make disciples. One of the other things is that he wants us to build up the body of Christ. We've studied this before, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. As he's talking about the body and the different gifts and the abilities and the offices that he's given to the body of Christ, to the church, it says that he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, that we would all be prepared. And the saints are everyone who's a child of God. That is what that term really means, for the equipping of the saints, for the children of God, for the work of ministry. It doesn't say for the equipping of pastors or elders or deacons. It says for the equipping of the saints. That means that all of us who are children of God, that we are all to be prepared for the work of ministry. And then he says for the edifying, the building up, of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So again, Jesus is the, the bar that has been set. That's who we're trying to live like that we should no longer, in verse 14, be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but instead speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, again, for the edifying of the body of itself in love. And so he says in verse 14 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Part of building up the body of Christ is calling out false doctrine. That's part of building up the body of Christ. And in order to call it out, in order to say, you know what, that's wrong, we need to know what's right and what's wrong. We need to be able to study the word of God and to be able to listen attentively, to be able to pick out the things that aren't right. You know, one of the things that I haven't challenged you much recently when I've shared that I I always want to, and, and I just sometimes forget, is to test out everything that I say. Everything that any person says from any pulpit, that you should test it out against the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it wasn't true. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it was just man getting in the way of whatever God was trying to speak to us that time. So test out, check everything out. That's one of the reasons that, that we put the, the references up. It's one of the reasons that, that we don't just say, you know, Paul the Apostle said a lot of things and then go into all the things that he said, but that we actually tell you in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, so that you can see it with your own eyes, so that you can read it yourself and see that we're not making these things up, that this is what it says and this is what it means. And so that's part of building up the body of Christ is that we are not carried about with every wind of doctrine, and we don't allow others to be carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, but that we speak the truth in love. So when we call out false doctrine, we need to do it in love. You can't just tell somebody that they're a heretic and just leave it at that. You need to call it out in love. You need to be able to explain to them, look, this is what the Bible says. Why are you saying this, this totally different thing? Where are you getting this from? Because it's not from the Word of God, and you need to recognize that. You need to understand that. There's a man named Benny Han. He's a, a pretty famous televangelist. And recently, some of you guys might have heard that that he came out on his Monday night program and he shared that that he, he'd made a bunch of mistakes with his doctrine and with his theology and some of the things that he was you know, requiring people to do, that, you know, give a $1,000 and God will bless you and the Holy Spirit will come upon your life and, and just send me money and then we'll, we'll send you this in return and you can just get closer to God. And he said that, that he felt like the Holy Spirit was telling him that, that he was tired of all of that because all of that was wrong and that wasn't of the Spirit, it wasn't of God. And praise God, hopefully that, that he really is making a change. But for so many years, he was carried about by those doctrines, and he was carrying others along with him. And so now, to be able to come and to rectify that, to build up the body of Christ, not to tear it down. One of the other parts of building up the body of Christ is to encourage each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. All things be done for edification. And, and so he's going through and he's talking about all of these different things that go on in a church service sometimes. And, and sometimes it can get chaotic in some churches. And what he's saying here is all of this is actually supposed to be to build each other up, not to confuse each other, not to make this more difficult, and more complicated than it ought to be. You know, there's a, an acronym out there, KISS, K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, Simpleton, keep it simple, stupid, keep it simple, whatever you want to insert as the S, but keep it simple. I think that that's something we need to do with the Word of God. There are so many amazing things in the Word of God, but God wants to allow everyone to partake of it. It's not just for someone that, that has a, a PhD or a master's degree or a college education or somebody that went to seminary. It's for every child of God because the Holy Spirit is that perfect tutor that wants to help us to understand the Word of God. We are the ones that complicate things, and we've been doing this for years years since before jesus came we were complicating things that's why he had to rebuke the religious leaders so many times is because they wouldn't keep it simple the way god had made it they wanted to add on their own rules and regulations and this is how you can do what god wants you to do But just do what god wants you to do understand what the will of the lord is and do that We're also called to bear with one another in Romans 15 verses 1 and 2. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, the the shortcomings, the frailties, the the challenges of the weak. We who are strong ought to bear with and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Again, it's the building up, the edification, the, the growth of each other. That we who are strong, if we feel like we're strong and we really know this, instead of just lording it over people and saying, I'm really good at this and I really know how to do this, we need to be able to share those things with other people. You know, And it's, it's everything in your life. It's not just a, a spiritual application. That's a, a very, very practical application. I think one of the, the greatest growths in my life as a musician is when I decided to stop hoarding all of the things that I had learned, even though I, I don't know a, a ton of amazing things, but the things that I know, instead of trying to hold on to that so that I could, you know, save my place or whatever, to be able to turn around and to share that with other people, to teach other people how to play, to teach other people how to do the things that I do, to make them better. You know, the, the, I think when I started to learn that, it changed so much about being even just a musician because now not only was i building other people up but in turn now people that i was sharing with were willing to share with me and so there i might know this thing and i shared it with this person and they know how to do something that i didn't and they turned around and they showed me and it's this constant growth as iron sharpens iron that we are constantly building up one another We're also called to bear the burdens of one another. In Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, if any trespass, if you have done any kind of wrong, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Again, not to lord it over them and say, yeah, you blew it and I didn't, but to be able to say, look, you messed up. Let's get you back doing the things that are right. Let's get you back into where you ought to be, to be restored. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted to be aware that there is no sin known to man that any of us is incapable of committing. Stop and think about that. There is not a single sin. There are things that that you might look at and you say, oh, well, I could never do that. That's just despicable and horrible and gross and awful, and, and I would never. Peter said the same thing. Lord, I'll never deny you. Never deny you. And then three times that day. You know, the preachers talk about it a lot, at least preachers that I've heard, is that the story of the, this, this little old lady coming to speak to this preacher and, and, and being reminded as this prison gang is walking by that there go I, but by the grace of God. And what that means is I'm no better than them. I am no better than the worst person on the earth. However you want to measure that that out whoever's the worst sinner whoever's done the most terrible things hurt the most people i am no better than them except by the grace of god it is only because of god's good blessings that i am different than that person so there isn't a single sin that i'm incapable of committing no matter how despicable i might think it is in this moment in that moment i'm capable of anything all of us are Again, it comes back to that battle between the flesh and the spirit. So we're to bear with one another, considering ourselves, lest we're also tempted, to bear one another's burdens in verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then, of course, the last one that I wanted to share with you is to bring glory and honor to the Father in heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14-16, through 16, he says that you are the light of the world. He's speaking to those who are, are the children of God. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. We're not doing the good works so that people would say, wow, you're so amazing. And you did such a great job and you're so close to God and you're so righteous and holy. And one day I hope I can be like you. We're not doing it for that. And if people are telling you that you need to stop them and you need to redirect all of that because it's there go I, but by the grace of God, I'm a wretch. You're a wretch. It's only the grace of God that makes a difference. It's the grace of God that makes a difference. And so all of that leads us to this last thing, which is where, where we were going to start, is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6-14. through 14. Paul's writing to Timothy, and this is the second letter that he's written to him, and this is towards the end of Paul's life. And he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he says, "'Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God "'which is in you, through the laying on of my hands.' For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began." but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, and apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day." Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And so, he, sa- he starts here by telling him to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Now, something that, that began to, to stir in my heart as I was reading about stirring up the gift of God is the the times that I get caught looking at other people's lives, and I, I don't know that I would be the only one that does it, but there are times that I get caught up looking around at the blessings of other people. Not necessarily in a covetous or, or a, uh, an envious way, but just looking around and seeing the blessings and the gifts and the abilities and, and sometimes even the resources that people have been blessed with, and I find myself wondering why they don't do more with all that they've been given. And, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but, but how many of you ever feel that? How many of you have ever looked around and thought, man, what a waste? What a waste? You know, I, there, are, there are times that, that I, I find myself thinking that. And one of the, the really challenging questions when we get to that place, is how often do we ask that question of ourselves? How often do we take stock of all the things that we've been given and actively evaluate what we're doing? Are we wasting time? Are we wasting resources? Are we wasting abilities and talents and gifts? Are we wasting the things that God has given to us for the purposes that he's called us to? You know, and, and that, I think, is where it starts there when he says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. What he's telling him is, hey, look, don't waste this. God has done so much in you. Don't waste it. I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. And before that, he was talking about all of this stuff. Even just going back one verse in verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So this genuine faith that has been passed down generation to generation to generation, in essence, this genuine faith that has been passed down, stir it up. Use it. Be active with it. "'Stir up the gift of God which is in you.'" So why did Timothy have to be encouraged to stir up that gift? I think that it could have been a lot of different things. Obviously, in verse, verses 7 and 8, there are a lot of answers that are possibilities because he says, "'For God has not given us a spirit of fear.'" So maybe it was fear. Maybe there was fear in Timothy's life for whatever reason that, that between the first letter and the second letter that there had, something had taken place that now Timothy was fearful. But he's telling him for stir up this gift, I remind you, stir it up, use it, get active with it, because God has not given us a spirit of fear. But God has given us a spirit of power. So maybe maybe Timothy was in a place where he felt like he was inadequate, he was powerless, where he he had lost whatever gifting it was or or he just wasn't effective anymore. And then he says that a, a spirit of power and of love, maybe he was losing that love for the people that he was ministering to. I've shared with you so many times before that, that, pastor Charlie deeply loves this congregation in a way that I am learning to love this congregation, but pastor Charlie deeply loves this congregation. He hurts when we hurt. He rejoices when we rejoice. He hurts. Even when we don't recognize the error of our ways, he hurts for us. And that's the love that we're supposed to have. We've been given this spirit of power and of love. So maybe that was part of it. Maybe Timothy was losing that. Maybe it was the sound mind. Maybe Timothy felt like he just wasn't smart enough. Maybe more people that were coming to ask questions or that he was ministering to, maybe he felt like they knew more just educationally, academically, or maybe even more about the the word of God than he did. And so Paul gives him this exhortation that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Maybe there was some shame involved. Because in verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Could have been any of those things. It could have been something entirely different. But to know that we have been called and saved and that we have been gifted, but we need to use it. We need to be active in it. We need to not be wasting it. If you don't know what your gifts are, you need to start asking God to reveal that to you. Because I promise you that every child of God has been gifted. We, we spent one entire time together just talking about the giftings of God and, and how important it is to be empowered, to be filled with the Spirit, but then to seek out those gifts and to use them. And that's what he's saying here, to stir up those good gifts, to stir up this gift of God that is in you. But then he continues on after talking about not being ashamed, after talking about this spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. But then he says in verse 9 that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling. So he's done both of those things according to what? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So what he's saying here is that both of those things apply to both of those things. So the first one is that God has saved us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And we know that we've talked about that before. Ephesians does a great job of of really exemplifying that for us. But the other thing here is that he has called us with a holy calling, Also, not according to our works, not according to our own power, our own love, our own sound mind, but according to his own purpose and grace. And this was given to us before time began, before any of us were in existence. These things were given to us. This holy calling was placed upon our life. We have been chosen specifically for a purpose. We were picked on purpose. Just like the 12 disciples, even knowing that Judas was going to blow it so bad, Jesus still chose him. And he chose him for a purpose. We don't know every reason. We don't even know every reason that God chose us. In fact, some of us honestly can't even figure out any reason why God chose us. We're blessed to be chosen, but there's not anything that we can point to and say, well, it's because God knew I could do this. No, it's because God knew I couldn't do anything, and so then he called me so that he could do whatever he wanted in me so that he could do whatever he wanted through me. And so we've been saved and called according to God's own purpose and grace. And we have each been appointed to ministry. Each of us has been appointed unto ministry. When he says in verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Those are things that Paul was appointed to. But each one of us has been appointed to ministry in one way or another. It might just be in your family. It might just be if you're a parent to your children. It might be if you're married to your spouse. It might be to your extended family. It might be in your your workplace. It might be if you're a student. It might be your teacher. It might be other students. It might be your friends. It might be any number of different ways in any number of different places. But we've all been called to ministry. And we need to stir up the gifts of God that are within us. And then he says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. My kids go to this this sports program twice a year they once in the fall and they do soccer and once in the spring and they do basketball and cheerleading and it it used to be called upward and and now it's called higher ground sports but but really what it is is it's just a bunch of kids ages kindergarten through I think sixth grade and they get together and they teach them sports but they teach them about God as they're teaching them sports And in the middle, at halftime of every game, someone comes out and does a devotional for all of the parents and the the spectators while all the kids go into another room and someone does a devotional separately for them. And so this past Saturday, we were there for my kids' soccer games, and one of the elders at this church got up and he shared just a real, real brief, like a five-minute devotional. And it ministered to me so much. And he was talking about the things that we know that that needs to be what defines us. The things that we know about God and about what he says, those are the things that define us, not what we feel. You know, he shared this story about that literally had happened the day before. It was a Saturday, and Friday afternoon he had gotten this message. He had been applying to the seminary. He'd been working as a baker for 20 years, wanted to go to seminary. All these doors had opened up. He'd been talking to this seminary. I believe it was Biola in Los Angeles, very prestigious, you know, hard to get in, all this stuff. He'd been going back and forth with the admissions office and, and everything was looking great. And now all he, it was just hoops, just little hoops to jump through. And it was just a formality. And then Friday afternoon, he gets his phone call and something had popped up on a background check or something and they weren't going to accept him. And not only were they not going to accept him then, they would never accept him. And it just, it was like earth shattering for him. This is what he had been really, really driving towards and working towards. And he said that in that moment, he didn't feel all of the things, all the warm fuzzies about being a Christian. He didn't feel all the warm fuzzies about all the spiritual blessings and heavenly places that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 1. He felt far from it he felt so much just anxiety, so much just pain, so much grief. And, and, and this was just something like that. But think about losing a loved one. Think about having to go through a, a debilitating disease. Think about any number of different things that happen in our lives. In that moment, what do we feel? I can almost guarantee you that what we feel is so different than what we know because what we know is that God is in control, right? I mean that's what the word of God says in multiple places. Even tonight as we studied, for Jesus says that he has been given all power and authority in heaven and on earth. All of it. Not some of it, not most of it, not just the things that he wants, all of it. That that's what that means is that he's in total control. He is in complete control. But in the midst of that, we don't feel like God's in control all the time, do we? We want to believe it, but we don't always feel it. And feelings are deceptive a lot of times. We need to fall back on what we know, not what we feel. I feel like this should be different. Well, your feelings don't matter in that equation. God is so much less concerned with our feelings Than he is with our eternity. God would so much rather, just like any other parent, I mean, I, I have kids and I feel the same way. I would so much rather punish my children to help them hurt their feelings in that moment, to help protect them for the future. I would so much rather go through that, not because I want to see them hurt, not because I want to hurt their feelings, not because I want them to feel anything negative or sad or or awful, but because there's a greater good there. Because we know, we know that God has a plan and a purpose. We know God is in control. You know, so many of the the worship songs that that God led us to sing tonight, they had to do with that. You know, there's... None of these things, nothing I hold on to, I I give it all to you, that you would make something beautiful out of this mess that I am. That's literally what he's saying. Out of this mess that I am and this mess that I make myself day after day, falling short, doing the things that I know I shouldn't do, not doing the things that I know I should do, needing to stir up the gifts that you've given to me because I constantly waste them and I'm not redeeming the time as I should. I don't feel good all the time talked about that last week sometimes ministry doesn't feel good sometimes you don't want to do the right thing because it doesn't feel like the thing to do but we know it's the thing to do and that's what he says here for i know whom i have believed and i am persuaded that he is able to keep what i have committed to him until that day and what has paul committed to him he's committed himself He has committed his entire life unto Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. To commit ourselves entirely unto Jesus, trusting that he is faithful to keep us until the day that he calls us home, trusting that he can make something beautiful out of these wretches that we are. To trust the things that we know about God. And then in verse 13, "...to hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love, which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us." to hold fast to it, to hold on to it with everything that you are. Hold fast the things that you know, the things that you have been taught, the things that you read about Jesus, about the Father, about the Holy Spirit, the things that you know from the Word of God, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, because hopefully that's where it starts, is that we believe that this is the Word of God. And if it is the Word of God, then every word of it is true. And these are the things that we know. These are the things that we can hold on to. And that's what he's talking about, to hold fast to these things, to when you don't feel like it, when everything feels like it's caving in, when it doesn't seem like this is worth it, hold fast to the things that you know, the things that you've been taught. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, we've talked about it many, many times, that you be aware that you redeem the time. Don't be unwise. Understand the will of the Lord. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If ever there was a great passage in the Bible to talk about what we do as as a body, when we gather together and we have a night of worship, or even when we open with the 20 to 30 minutes of worship before a church service, this is it. He says, speaking to one another in verse 19 of Ephesians 5, In Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we're doing it to each other. We're singing these songs to each other to encourage one another, to remind one another. And music is amazing in the way that that it helps us to remember things. As my kids are going through school, they start learning all of these different little ditties so that they can be reminded of the, the information. And that's that's what worship songs are about. It's, it's to give the glory and the honor to the Lord, but also so that we would be able to be reminded of that. Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but, but how many of you go home after a church service and have a, just a chorus stuck in your head? Like there are times that that it might not even be a song that we sang for whatever reason there was a word or a phrase or something that somebody said and it jogs my memory and i hear that song in my head and i just cannot get it out of my head and i find myself humming it singing it without even realizing it and that's why we here try to choose songs that are scripturally doctrinally solid So that as we're singing these things, we're reminded of scriptural truths. We're reminded of the things that we should already know. Not some weird, crazy thing, but things that we know because they're from the Word of God. And that's a beautiful thing, to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, and then to give thanks always for all things to God the Father. Are we thankful for the gifts that we've been given? We, again, all the spiritual gifts in heavenly places, but in the here and the now, in the moment, everything that God has blessed us with, your, your health, however good or bad that might be, your wealth, however high or low that might be, your family, however small or large that might be, the breath that you take everything the job that you have the the friends that you have the life that you live are you thankful for that it's what he's saying to give thanks always for all things and then he says submitting to one another in the fear of god so are we doing these things or are we building each other up and are we being thankful to god for what he's given to us life is hard ministry is harder but we're all called to it. We're called to both, but God has given us so much. And I'm going to hit these rapid fire, but, but God has given us so much. And these are just a couple of things that God has given to us in Ephesians chapter one, verse three talks about every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In John 14 through 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. We've been given the gift of his Holy Spirit. The very next verse in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We've been granted His perfect peace, His perfect, complete peace. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, he's promised never to leave us or forsake us. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Again, be thankful. There's a common recurring theme. Even through all of these things, as as the, the writers of all of these different passages are reminding us of what we've been given, they're also saying, be content and be thankful. But he says, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, speaking of Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. It's a very personal thing. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, God is in control. And then the last one, He's promised us an eternal inheritance. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. He's given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. That means nobody can take it away. Nobody can mess it up. Nobody can take the luster off of it. This is a perfect inheritance. It's something that does not fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have this inheritance and we're also kept by the power of God. That's a gift. And then in Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing, again, the things that we know, not just the things that we feel, knowing that from the Lord, he will receive the reward of the inheritance. You serve the Lord Christ. Knowing all of these things, how can we not be thankful? And as we're thankful, how can we not be faithful as a way of showing our thanksgiving? And that leads us to this last section that I want to leave you with tonight, which is Acts 20 verses 17 through 24. It says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, this is Paul speaking, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to jews and also to greeks repentance toward god and faith toward our lord jesus christ so he shared with everybody everywhere that he went he's done it with humility he's done it for the lord he hasn't done it so that people would proclaim his glory but that they would give glory to god and he's done it privately he's done it publicly from house to house he's done it in synagogues he's spoken to jews he's spoken to greeks and the message has been the same repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So even now, he knows that he's going to go suffer, but he knows that the Holy Spirit is is leading him to do this. And then he says in verse 24, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And I know that there are people that that really don't like other translations of the Bible, but the New Living Translation, just this last verse, Acts 20, 24, I think gives you a, a great perspective on it. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned by the Lord Jesus. And I pray that that would be our attitude. That my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. And that work is telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Amen.